yet uh, I've said to people, you know, Mr. Einstein, who was not a psychiatrist, said uh, to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result each time is crazy or psychotic in psychiatric terms. <laughs> <laughs> it's not based in reality. Howard County, number one. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elkin City on Frederick Road. The water is above the doors coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody said this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, the next the door, next door won't open. We can't get out the back and there's a lot of water. It also... We're rolling our dice on a storm by storm basis. Okay, well, are we gonna die, ma'am? I just feel so... <laughs> No, honey, I'm gonna do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stay in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. So let's recalibrate so I can catch everybody up. In the episode before last, that would be episode two, we were introduced to a flood mitigation plan that was being proposed by Howard County. The plan was presented to the County Council by County Executive Alan Kittleman and County Councilman John Weinstein. The five-year plan is designed to reduce the level and speed of deadly and cataclysmic flash flood water that has cascaded down Main Street during the most recent floods in the Ellicott City Historic District. Many critics of the plan object to the recommended raising and removal of 10 buildings as a means to widen the stream channel and reduce the destructive force of floodwaters. Kittleman and Weinstein presented the plan to the County Council on August 23rd. Since then, there have been several public hearings, community gatherings, and panel discussions to further inform Howard County residents and the media of all the components of the plan and to answer any questions they may have. One such assemblage was at the Community Roundtable at the Howard County Conservancy on September 13th. There were seven panelists on the roundtable, including Mark DeLuca, who is an engineer and deputy director of the Howard County Department of Public Works, Nicholas Redding, Executive Director of Preservation Maryland. Chris Brooks, a hydrologist. He works with McCormick Taylor, the engineering firm that helped develop the flood mitigation plan. And Bruce Taylor, he's a property owner and developer. Most of the people on that list I'm happy to report you'll be hearing from in future episodes. However, on this one, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Bruce Taylor. He is a psychiatrist and property owner developer 
whose family built the iconic Kaplan's department store building and developed several of the businesses and institutions in and around the historic district. And how long is your family? What generation? Over 100 years. Ah, so okay. I'm a fourth generation, and I've now got five generations of my family that have uh, worked on improving Ellicott City. Wow. There. So uh, my great-grandmother, uh, Rachel Kaplan, came to Ellicott City. I'm not sure exactly how, but... Uh, Dr. Taylor proceeded to give me a quite interesting narrative of his family history. How around 1926, his great-grandmother Kaplan built founded and ran the original Kaplan's department store on Main Street. Her son and Bruce's great uncle, Sam Kaplan, and his wife Gertrude later ran the store and grew it into the preeminent retailer in town. Picture of her husband. And uh, my uncle used to be very proud that he had Florsheim shoes <laughs> and Stetson hats yeah. uh, that he could sell you as well. And so uh, until I was into medical school, that's where I went and shopped and bought 90% of my clothes. Well, from he explained how his grandfather, Isaac Taylor, moved from Baltimore around 1912 and opened up a furniture store, you guessed it, Taylor's Furniture, on the other side of Main Street. Isaac met Sam Kaplan's sister, Rose, and they got married. His father, Bruce's father, Irving, was born soon after, and they all lived on Main Street above the furniture store. And that furniture store sold everything under the sun sold a, a variety of goods. So it sold furniture and jewelry and mm. uh, eyeglasses because my grandfather fit people for eyeglasses. Uh, and then uh, as electricity came out, they sold records and phonographs and musical instruments. Uh, and for a while, uh, on the side of the store, there was a uh, Firestone uh, tire and battery store. Wow. <laughs> um, and so uh, they had a range of products and services, uh, more so than my Uncle Sam, who primarily had just clothing. Irving went on to become a doctor, and Bruce Taylor continued in his father's footsteps. He was in medical school in 1972, and that was the year of Hurricane Agnes. But anyway, in 1972, I called my grandmother Friday night. How are you, Grandma? And we were talking, just chatting, you know, about how I was doing in medical school, how she was doing. And she says to me, I'm worried that it's going to flood your Uncle Sam's basement like it did in 1935. Hmm. Now, I checked Wikipedia when the floodings occurred, and apparently it was 1938. Maybe I remember it wrong. <laughs> or maybe she remembered it wrong. I don't remember. But... To me, 1935, 1938, 1972 might as well have been 2,000 years ago. Sure. Half a century ago or two centuries ago, it wouldn't have mattered. And uh, being the budding young psychiatrist I was as a medical student, I'm now a psychiatrist, I said to her, don't worry, Grandma, it'll be fine. Now, I had a TV and I had a radio, but as a medical student, I very seldom turned them on. <laughs> so I didn't know that it was a hurricane. Right. To me, it was just another thunderstorm. And uh, the next day, I was right, uh, and my grandmother was right. She wasn't worried about the f basement at all. They were worried about the second floor mm. because the water was now at the top of the steps of the second floor, lapping at my Uncle Sam and Aunt Gertrude's apartment, and the showcases from the store were floating on the top of the 14-foot ceiling of the first floor. Wow. And that was Agnes. 
at Kaplan's, which yeah. reached uh, close to 21 feet watermark. I've seen some of the outside photos, the store yeah. marked on the telephone pole. Yeah. So uh, they had to escape out the back of the store, uh, across a, a walkway up to St. Paul Street, and come up the hill and stay uh, at Taylor Manor Hospital at that time, until it took about a week for that water to go away. Uh, where were you when you heard about that flood, when it was occurring on uh, July, uh, July 30th, I believe, 2016? Yeah. Do you remember where you were? Oh, I know you... exactly where I was. Okay. So this is an interesting story, too, for me anyway. Okay. Uh, and I hope people don't hate me for it. Uh, but uh, I was in Colorado, and uh, I don't often watch a lot of TV, as I mentioned, but mm -hmm. I had caught up on all my work. I still work when I'm away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, I have free movies on my TV subscription here. I'm going to watch a couple of movies. And I'm, so I'm just scrolling through on the screen. Uh, well, what can I watch? Well, impossible. That sounds kind of challenging. What's impossible right. in today's world? It seems like almost nothing is impossible, right? Right. And lo and behold, this turns out to be a story of a tsunami in the South Pacific that uh, was a tragedy that flooded this entire island. So it's a movie all about flooding. Well, that was four days before the flood. Okay. Okay. Two days before the flood, I have another little bit of time. I'll, I'll watch another movie. <laughs> and I figured, all right, I'm looking again. 2012. All right, I don't know what that is, but it's already passed. Let's see what they say happened a couple of years ago. So I turn it on, and lo and behold, uh, this is about uh, Nostradamus's predictions. The planets are all going to align. And uh, the world is going to flood worse than Noah, and uh, lo and behold, more flooding. Okay, all over the world. Not just one island, but the whole world flooded. Okay. okay. So I've watched these two flood movies, and now two days later, my cousin uh, texts me, uh, and she's big on social media. I don't really use social media. And she says, uh, hey, check out this uh, YouTube video about Ellicott City. It's flooding. Oh, no. And this is the night of July the 30th. Yeah. And so I click on this video, and this is a video taken by a gentleman um, at the lower end of Main Street, like on the third floor, and he's watching the water come pouring out of the front of Kaplan's, and I own the building next to that, 8129, which had a purple front. Mm -hmm. And it's just pouring out of those buildings. And I'm looking at that, and my heart just sank. I can imagine. I can't do anything about this. Of course, I couldn't do anything about it if I was in town either. Right. But this is worse than Hollywood, and it's my stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I could see all this stuff floating down the stream, and uh, I said, oh, my God, I hope nobody is dying in this. This sure. is just horrific. Mm -hmm. Absolutely horrific. And uh, that's where I was. Wow. So uh, you eventually return to Maryland, and uh, you see your property the condition it's in. Right. Um, tell me about that experience when you... Well, you know, we, we looked, we saw, we, we, we understood this was a thousand-year storm. Uh, you know, I had experienced in my lifetime, like I said, the, the ones that I thought were significant. There were a bunch of other ones. If you like Wikipedia flooding, you'll see there are other less significant floods in Ellicott City, but 1972, 2011. 2011 wasn't any big deal. You know, you pumped your basement out, you mopped the floor up, and you were good to go. So, you know, your basement got trashed, but your building didn't get trashed. 
this is 2016, 1972. That's a good space of time. Uh-huh. You know, 40-some years. I can work with fixing my building up if it's going to hold up for 40-some years till I have to mop up again. Right. And so we all said, you know, everybody in town, not just me, you know, we're going to fix things up and we're going to jump on this and we're going to get it done. And, of course, you know, the town got cordoned off and uh, uh, police were very helpful and, you know, keeping the, the place secure and keeping people out of harm's way. And I mean, but that flood came in two hours and left in two hours. Mm-hmm. Boom. It was like, oh, my God, you know, and all of that water just disappeared just as quick as it came. That was not my experience in past floods. I guess now is a good time for me to tell you about an assumption that I made about Dr. Bruce Taylor. See, when I first saw him, he was on that community roundtable in September. And I was told by another attendee about his deep roots in the community and his family's relationship to the Kaplan's building. I mean, they built it. I thought that his perspective would be one of a historic preservationist. I thought that he would be telling a story about how his great-grandmother, his great-uncle and aunt and grandmother built Kaplan's from the sweat of their brow and that there was no way he would allow that building to be raised to the ground. Well, he told a very different story at that roundtable in September. When I asked him about the aftermath of the two floods and the proposed mitigation plan, I realized how faulty my assumptions can be. Kaplan's is sort of a unique situation. Kaplan's is the first building as you come down Main Street. It sits right in the corner of the, of the street in sort of an optimum location for retail with a giant store and big windows right mm-hmm. in the center of the you know, historic part of the town. The reason that there's that bend in the street is that the Tiber River runs behind and under Kaplan's and the river bends, and I guess, you know, that's part of the geology and the formation of the rock and everything or whatever there. And Kaplan's was built, as are all the other stores below Kaplan's, uh, until you get to Maryland Avenue, except T on the Tiber. All of those buildings are built as bridges over cross of the Tiber River. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when, when I think of a river in the United States, I think of Susquehanna, the Mississippi. These are giant, mighty rivers that are quarter mile wide and, mm-hmm. and you know these are substantial bodies of water well the Tiber River we call it a river but 99% of the time it's a brook right it's a trickle mm-hmm. it's two three inches maybe six inches of water two to four feet wide going under these buildings so it was like well why not go over top of it you know mm-hmm. even though there were floods apparently recorded in history all the way back to the 1800s you know, so the architect, when he built that building and designed it, knew it was going to flood. And he had a, a wheel like you see on the back of the caboose in Ellicott City, a steel wheel. It's about a foot in diameter with a one-inch rod connecting it to a valve in the floor that opened a trap door. So if it flooded the basement, you could turn this wheel and let the water out. Uh-huh. And it was like a one-by-two-foot trap door. And this is what they built in 1926. We yeah. know it's going to flood. Right. We'll let the water out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think they had ever experienced anything like the rain that we had in 2016. That was six inches of water in two hours. That was draining from 2,370 acres. So that's 1,000 plus acre feet of water 
that came down the funnel into Ellicott City and created this wall of water. And it just, when it came, it brought trees and cars that got washed off the parking lots and dumpsters. And these trees were battering rams that uh -huh. just destroyed the sides of the building. So Kaplan's uh, was built with steel on all four corners. And if you think of a box on all the, on all the edges, so the edges at the ground didn't have steel, but the top edges all had this steel frame that held the building together and the building was hung off of that steel. What was left was the back wall, and that's the only wall that survived out of the six sides of a cube. The floor was damaged, the two sides were damaged, the front was damaged, and the roof was okay because it was held up by the steel. So it had a back wall and a roof what about that sign, the storefront? So the sign. sign was hanging on the front wall. Okay. And that was okay because the steel held up the top of the, of the wall. Mm -hmm. But the whole eight foot or so of the front of the building is glass, and all yeah. the glass was broken out. Sure. So the water came in the upstream, the uphill side, broke the brick and uh, two-by-eight construction of that wall, broke the floor up, which was also two by eight, two by 12, whatever, and some heavier beams, broke all of that up, and exited both the front of the building and the downstream side of the building, and left the building full of trees, and then went to the buildings next door and filled those buildings with trees and knocked their walls out. So the building next door, the only thing holding the roof up were the trees inside the building that had filled the building because they didn't have all that steel in their building. So they had a real challenge. Okay, go ahead. My name is Tammy Vitamin. I'm the owner of Sweet Elizabeth Jane. Um, on April 1st, 2011, I opened Sweet Elizabeth Jane inside the Kaplan's department store. One of the several public hearings held on Ellicott City's flooding issue was at the Howard County Council meeting on September 17th. We've heard some of the clips of the public testimony from that session on earlier episodes. I'm about to play the comments of Tammy Biderman. As you just heard, she was Bruce Taylor's tenant in the Kaplan's building, and it was open for business on the evening of July 30th, 2016. This is her recollection of that day. On July 30th, 2016, my life was turned upside down. At 8 p.m. while in D.C., I received a phone call. It was Mariah, my general manager. She was crying, and she said that she had received a frantic call from Natalie, our closing manager, saying that the river was coming up through the floorboards. Our God Save the Queen sign had fallen off the wall. The dress racks were floating out of the building, and the walls were starting to shake. What should she do? Then Mariah said the phone was swept away, and they were disconnected. She just kept saying, Tammy, I believe this is a very grave situation. I immediately went to the community Facebook page to find out what the eyes on the street could see. Within minutes, someone posted a view from the, their apartment. I could see that water was up to the second level of the buildings. As we searched, we finally heard from one girl's mom that two of the girls had floated down Main Street hanging onto a car, and they were rescued in Tiber Alley by a resident. We still didn't know where the third girl was, and Mariah and I feared that we had lost Natalie, our manager. The three girls had linked arms when they tried to escape Kaplan's, but the current was too strong and Natalie became separated. They didn't know what happened to her. Fortunately, an hour later, Natalie's mom 
contacted us and told us that Natalie had been rescued at Cocoa Lane. For me, seeing the very first image of a gutted Kaplan's, my business, my dream, on Twitter at midnight brought only relief that my girls had survived. I was numb and shocked. These buildings are not safe. It took us almost a year to rebuild Kaplan's. And then we were able to obtain Misfit as a tenant, and she came in and we redid the whole space for her, and she had exercise equipment and stuff on the first floor, and she had bikes and a fitness room and a childcare room on the second floor. So she said it was just by luck that they didn't have 40, 50 women and two dozen kids in the building when this hit in 2018, because when it hit, it didn't work the way we planned. May, May 27th. 27th. It didn't work the way we planned. We had more trees come down and more cars again, <clears throat> and they act as battering rams. And we got a few trees in the building, and they just, I mean, you can imagine a two-foot diameter tree, you know, 30, 50 feet long, coming along at 12, 15 miles an hour with rushing water, smashing into the side of your house, that's, you know, every Viking's lovely gate smasher for the castle. Right. And it just took out that wall like it was cardboard. Wow. The windows didn't matter. It just smashed right through the block, and everything ripped out that entire wall. The roof now was sagging because it ripped everything out worse than before. The last time we had been left with like an arch of brick on each side, so it carried the roof. Now the roof is sagging. And the floor with its steel beams and concrete didn't hold. They got pushed up a foot and a half or two feet. And the front got totally demolished. And the front of the building used to have this uh, six-inch thick piece of concrete with terrazzo on top that said Kaplan's in it. That's washed down the street as much as 100 yards in two pieces, the whole front of the building. The back corner of the foundation is is broken. And I'm not going to say it can't be repaired, but it's like... We just said to ourselves, this is ridiculous. So after the flood, you know, my partners and I looked at each other, and I own another building, 8095 Main Street, down the street, a couple of buildings from Kaplan's that was Shoemaker Country, and uh, a couple of nice apartments on the third floor. And I rebuilt that in 2000 after this three-day fire from Main Street Blues, uh, where the restaurant chef dropped his cigarette in the trash in the alley and caught my building on fire. And so we finally were able to negotiate and get permission to build that building back like a submarine. It's anchored to the ground. It's waterproof to four feet, which we thought was more than enough in 2000. And we had never seen a flood like this except Agnes, which we didn't think was going to happen anytime soon. That building was demolished. Uh, I wouldn't say demolished, but let me say severely damaged. Uh, 2016, we took everything again upstairs that we could, uh, but the floor of that building and the walls of that building were good. This time, the pressure of the water under the building was so great that it moved a 12-inch thick concrete plank that are the support of the building, like the bridge, and forced water and mud up between those planks and destroyed a three-layer uh, eight-inch concrete structure above that. So if I'm going to put that building back together, I have to rip out the entire floor system of the whole first floor. 
So I said to myself and my partners, and I quietly said to the county, I said, I'm not rebuilding these buildings. Uh-huh. I said, it's not going to work. The next flood is going to come while I'm trying to rebuild them because it's going to take me a year or more to do all this work or just after I'm done and it's going to get wiped out again. And I'm not doing it again and again. I, I believe Mr. Einstein and I'm a psychiatrist and I know better. Right. I really don't want to have a psychotic breakdown over these buildings. They need to go. So what should Ellicott City do? Move forward with a plan to demolish historic and iconic buildings to start the process of flood mitigation? Or find another way to tackle the problem that doesn't amputate what some residents have described as the heart and soul of the town? Would such a quest be in vain? Has Mother Nature made it clear that it's time for a change of landscape? Well, here's what Bruce Taylor thinks. Uh, Mr. Redding of the Maryland Historic Trust, or if I got the name right, he, he challenged me in the same meeting that you were at, you know, and said, you know, why would you want to paint it when you could save the front of the buildings? And I had to challenge him back and say, you know, you haven't read the studies, the studies that are done, that are out there, that are on the county's website with the current plan. And, you know, so I, I've said to everybody, it's a great plan and it's a great beginning. But let's not spend this and do this and then say, oh, we're done. We have more work to do, but this is the quickest, fastest, most economical way that we can get back on our feet in Ellicott City. And I said, you don't want to do that? You want to leave the buildings there? Okay, you want to buy my building? You can buy my building. You know, put your money where your mouth is, historic folks. You want to buy all these buildings? You know, come up with the... 10, 12, 15 million dollars to buy them all, then what are you going to do? You're going to leave them there boarded up? Because the studies show they're going to go. So who else could we have on our next episode but Nicholas Redding of Preservation Maryland on the next Ellicott City Historic Town Historic Water? So, you know, as as you mentioned, the plan basically says that we're going to take down a, a good chunk of the historic structures at the lower end of town in order to mitigate and potentially reduce floodwaters um, in that part of the town. I think, honestly, if the plan and the science behind it was able to substantively reduce floodwaters in that lower part of town or perhaps eliminate them, the preservation community wouldn't be in a real tough position, you know, because it would be very hard to say, well, we shouldn't do that in light of the fact that it's eliminating these floods. I mean, that, that would be a tough position to be in. But that's not the position we're in. Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of the Fletcher Group Incorporated in collaboration with the Number One Two Podcast. Original music is by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is The Rain Song, written and performed by Voices Three. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. I'll fall.